our kelp forests are declining because of increased temperatures. And kelp forests are just like rainforests on land. So they support an incredible amount of biodiversity. So if our kelp forests are in trouble, then that has roll-on impacts for the rest of the food chain. Welcome to the Ripples of Radical Generosity podcast by Coralis, a global community of women and non-binary people making real progress on the world's to-do list. Together, we're transforming the world to become more equitable and sustainable. Hi everyone, my name's Gabrielle Martinovich. I've been a Coralis activator for a number of years and I've really enjoyed being a part of the network which values doing business differently. Today, I have the great privilege of welcoming Jo Lane of Sea Health Products, who farms kelp to produce seasonings and skincare from the sea. Now I'd like to hand over to you, Jo, to introduce yourself. Hi, everybody, and hi, Gabrielle. Lovely to be here. I'm the owner of Sea Health Products. I'm a marine biologist, and we are pioneering kelp farming agriculture in Australia I have owned the business for about seven years and became quite obsessed with seaweed and all the different uses and benefits of seaweed and really worked out that the world would be a better place if we had more seaweed. So that's kind of my, my mission is to introduce kelp farming agriculture to Australia and to raise awareness um, and educate people on kelp and how wonderful it is. Great. Just extending on that, what's the actual problem that you're trying to solve with the kelp farming? Yeah, so as you know, with uh, the environment, we've got a range of problems, particularly climate change is something that I'm really passionate and, and concerned about. Our marine environment is under threat and that problem as well is that it's out of sight out of mind. So our kelp forests are declining because of um, increased temperatures and kelp forests are just like rainforests in on land. So they support an incredible amount of biodiversity. So if our kelp forests are in trouble, then that has roll-on impacts for the rest of the, the food chain. So the problem that I'm trying to solve, I suppose, is, is multifaceted. We also have a problem with our food supply. So as our population is increasing, we can't continue to remove habitat from land to grow crops and animals. So we need to look to the ocean for an alternative food supply. So I'm looking at growing kelp for all the environmental benefits, and I'm also looking at growing kelp as a product to use in a sustainable way. It can be used for food, it can be used for a whole range of things. Great. So how did you get started in the venture? You mentioned earlier that you've owned it for about seven years. How, how, what was your entree in? <laughs> well, it's a bit of a long story, but um, I, I studied marine science in Sydney and then I moved to the south coast working for a government job and then I had a few different jobs and one of them was working for New South Wales Fisheries and I processed a permit of a company called Sea Health Products which is what I ended up buying which I didn't realise at the time but when I processed the permit I went oh seaweed that's really interesting so the permit is to collect marine vegetation between the tides and that's what we continue to do now but obviously that's quite labour intensive and quite physical so by farming it it gives us a more guaranteed supply. When 
the previous owners of Sea Health products sold their property and the business that actually made the paper down here. And I, uh, it jogged my memory that they were the seaweed people. So I contacted them and bought the business. But Sea Health products actually started back in the late 60s. Um, so one of Australia's first seaweed businesses by a pretty amazing lady called Betty Long. And she was in the Natural Health Society and into, um, you know, healthy diets and was vegetarian, knew all the amazing health benefits of seaweed and went to her father's property in Naruma and saw all this beautiful golden kelp washing in and thought, why can't I use that rather than, you know, buy it from overseas. So that's what she did. And the Australian Woman's Weekly did a story on her in 1970. And she got letters from all over Australia saying, that sounds amazing. Please, can I have some of your product? And she had to take her children out of school to collect enough to supply all the, all the people. So that's really how the business started. Um, and then I've continued on, you know, with the same methods. But now there's more awareness. Uh, we've got a few new products and we need more kelp to supply <laughs> all these demand. Yeah, and so that, that point about kelp, um, is there a difference between kelp and seaweed or is it the same thing? Uh, good question. No. So all kelp is seaweed, but not all seaweed is kelp. So sometimes those words get used interchangeably. And I suppose the best way I kind of use to describe it, it's like fruit and apples. So all apples are fruit, but not all fruit is apples. Um, so with seaweed or macroalgae, there's around 10 to 12,000 species globally, and they're generally classified into red, brown and green. And kelp is a type of brown seaweed, and there's around 2,000 species globally. So the one that I'm working on is golden kelp or Eclonia radiata. It's quite a important species for Australia, and it's found from Queensland or the northern New South Wales border all the way down around Tasmania, South Australia, around to Geraldton in Western Australia. So it is an important habitat forming species and forms a really, you know, it's part of what we now call the Great Southern Reef and um, provides this important habitat for so much of our marine species here in Australia. And so with regard to that, and you've mentioned how important it is, um, why don't we have any kelp farms yet in Australia to, the, to a significant degree? I know. I was amazed when I bought the business and went, okay, wow, we can do so many things with it. Let's just, you know, get more kelp. Let's look at what's happening overseas. There's kelp farms. That's what we need to do. So I was quite surprised to find that Australia, you know, having such a, a big coastline has no kelp farms and I now understand why is our species are quite unique they're different to the northern hemisphere so trying to understand the breeding requirements so in order to farm obviously you need seed or seed stock um, and we hadn't put the money into research and it's a chicken and egg kind of thing there was no research because there's no market so the breeding side is a bottleneck and the other thing, because it's a new industry and um, our marine waters are legislated differently in each state. So the regulations around obtaining a marine lease is a challenge and is, is another bottleneck. So the two main things are the breeding and access to water are the reasons why there are no kelp farms here. But we have a marine biologist, we've built a lab, and for the past five years, we've really focused on understanding the breeding cycle of 
um, Econia. And we've, you know, had some breakthroughs. So we've had some success in breeding and we can now grow the kelp in the lab and we're doing some trials in the ocean. So that, that point about breeding um, and kelp in lab, et cetera, why can't we just rely on wild stocks of kelp? Because we've got such a huge yeah. line in Australia, you know, you could almost pick it randomly and go, hey, I'll, I'll just use this, you know? Yeah, if only. And it is deceptive in certain areas where you go and so much kelp's washing in. But here on the east coast of Australia particularly, and even where I am in Naruma, it, it is a hot spot for um climate change and water temperatures. So we're seeing a massive decline in our kelp forests here. And we also have an urchin problem. So the urchins are overgrazing the kelp and it and it is declining. So what we can do is really we when the kelp is reproductively ready, we just take a piece almost about 20 cents and we can take that back to the lab and it will release thousands of spores so you know the scale is amazing of what we can do and in nature that's because like they're what we call broad broadcast fertilizers you know they're they're stuck on a rock they can't meet each other they release lots of spores and some of them will meet up whereas in a lab we can get you know probably 90 percent of them to meet and we can we can grow them we can actually also keep like a seed bank we can keep them on hold for actually many years we can stop them from fertilizing under red light and yeah having this seed bank means that not only can we use this for introducing a new industry of kelp farming but we can use this seed stock for restoration projects and that's something that's also incredibly exciting for us is that we can give back and give nature a helping hand and do some kelp restoration particularly here on the east coast love that give nature a helping hand I really like that <laughs> Obviously, that's a benefit. You've you mentioned some of the benefits of kelp farming. Are there any others? You've morphed it also into seasonings and skincare products. So there's obviously some other benefits there. What are they? I suppose when you're farming kelp, um, as it's growing, it's absorbing carbon dioxide and nutrients from the water. It's also providing habitat and it's reducing ocean acidification. So it's having a lot of environmental benefits whilst it's growing. And it's also, you know, it's referred to as restorative ocean farming or um, a zero input crop because it doesn't require any land, fresh water or fertilizers to grow. So it's got all these benefits whilst it's in the water, but once it's harvested, it's incredibly versatile and valuable crop so at the moment we use it for a seasoning and also some skincare products soaps and shampoos but there's so many other uses that can be used for fertilizer agricultural feed it's used in fashion pharmaceuticals other cosmetics there's people now doing some awesome research into bioplastics so using seaweed as a plastic alternative building materials flooring furniture so um, obviously we can't access all of these markets right now if we don't have enough biomass or enough product in order to do this. So that's what I'm excited about is that, you know, if we can grow it in the water, it's having a benefit. And then once we harvest it, we can also use it to have other environmental benefits. So I guess if we if we move on a bit, you've obviously been welcomed into the Coralist community as a venture, which is great, great news for both both you and us. And can you share a bit about how it's going so far? Yeah, sure. So I 
met an activator who suggested that I should apply. And yeah, the, the application process was, it wasn't overly challenging, I suppose. If you know, know what your business is about, what your venture is about, what sustainable development goals you're working on, what your passion is. So I filled out the form and then I was really pleased to become a semi-finalist, which of which there were 16 and we then got to meet all of those people. And what I found incredibly inspiring is, you know, we're all passionate about what we're doing. Um, you know, there's just some great people doing great things. So wonderful people, wonderful connections with all of the semi-finalists and then to become one of the five finalists in Australia has been a real yeah I'm really proud and I'm really excited and I'm yeah really thrilled to be part of the community the retreat was online and the the depth of knowledge from the mentors is just wonderful so Lauren and MJ and how generous they are with their knowledge and support and I find it you know it's really nurturing and nourishing I think sometimes business it can be a bit harsh and you have to be really you know strong and and I'm just finding this this community just so nurturing and and supportive and and kind so I'm really enjoying it and happy to be part of it. And that's really good to hear for all of us that are activators as well in general. And it's great to welcome you into that Coralist community. So let's go back to Sea Health. What's next for Sea Health? Where do you see the future of your venture going? Oh, 2023 is booming for us already. So we've got our laboratory certified as a, as a hatchery. So we are progressing all of our experiments and trials and getting some kelp into the water. We've got two marine lease sites. So we're progressing also with all the environmental regulations here. We are working with the University of Wollongong to do some restoration trials. And we're a member of the MBCRC, which is the Marine Bioproducts Cooperative Research Centre. So there's a lot of support through that um, and recognition of the importance of, of not only seaweeds, but, you know, marine bioproducts, but with a, with a real slant towards seaweed. So there's definitely interest and momentum in Australia at the moment around um, understanding the importance of developing a seaweed industry. And there's the ISS in February, the International Seaweed Symposium in Hobart, so we'll be attending that. And four years ago, we attended the ISS in Korea, in South Korea, which was the beginning of my overseas Churchill Fellowship. So it'd be great to reconnect with some of my international colleagues. So that's February. So yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, the goal is to get more kelp in the water and and, and more trials um, looking at growth rates and things like that and, and develop a, a kelp farming industry in Australia. And are you doing, in, in terms of the kelp farming, are you doing anything further on the product side? So in terms of the skincare and the seasoning, or that's sort of churning along and, and you're happy with that progress, how it is? Yeah, it's it's tricky because we are currently relying on our wild harvest and that's unreliable and seasonal. So I've got ideas and I'm working on a seaweed salad, but in order to sort of scale that, I, I need sort of access to more kelp. So once we can get the farming and have guaranteed supply of kelp, then we'll um, be able to roll that out. But seaweed salads would be the next product that we're working on. 
And that's just another question I thought of while you were talking. Um, how long is that growth cycle for kelp? Is it, is it, how, how long does it take for kelp to grow? Yeah, good question. We've got some in the water. So according to overseas, you plant it sort of in autumn and it grows over winter. But we just had some ready, so we put it out in September and it's grown quite well, you know, in, in that time. So we'll put some out again in winter, but generally it's around six months. Great. And I guess finally what we'd like to know is do you have an ask for the listeners in the Coralist community? Oh, I just ask that you get interested in seaweed, eat seaweed. I mean, most people's understanding of seaweed is sort of sushi and nori sheets, which is fantastic. All seaweeds are great. But I think start experimenting with different kinds of seaweed. There's so many out there. So just add a little bit of seaweed uh, or kelp to your diet and enjoy all the benefits. Great. And I, I did look at your website also just for the members. There are some great recipes on there with da- and they're downloadable sheets. So I think that's worth looking because I downloaded all of them. I thought I'll give that a crack. Um, so, yeah, thank you for your time today. And it's really great to hear about what you're doing. Look forward to hearing more about how your business progresses in 2023. And welcome to the Coralist community. Thank you so much, Gabrielle. Thank you for listening to the Ripples of Radical Generosity podcast. Let us know what you thought of the episode and share this podcast with your friends. We invite you to join a global community of radically generous women and non-binary folks at www.coralist.world.